Oh, I didn't get a window. Normally, it uh, tells me that we've started a recording. This is going to go to the podcast now. Anyway. Yeah, it is. You already gave your consent to be recorded. Zoom doesn't care anymore. Uh, welcome to episode question mark of Man Buns and Jesus. I think this is 13 or something. 10? 13. <laughs> I'll check. You You introduced the show. I'll check. I've lost track. We have. Uh, my name is Pastor Ben Olschlager. I'm uh, currently residing in uh, the lovely snowy state of Michigan, uh, and this on you know, currently my left, not well, yeah. Anyway, the other guy, that's Pastor Josh Laborious of Eastvale, California. Well, Eastvale slash Corona, California, uh, where he complains about the weather when it gets below sixty degrees. Yeah, because um, it's cold. <laughs> episode 10 um, by the way okay this is episode 10 of man buns and jesus our our theology quote-unquote podcast uh, <laughs> uh we're glad to have you josh what are we talking about today today we are actually talking about a theological topic so look at that um today we're talking about vocation um and to kind of just start off vocation as uh I guess the the best synonym I think is probably a calling, right? It's it's a position you've been put in life by God, and I think sometimes people confuse it. Like when you say vocation, when you say calling, people think career, which is what we're going to focus on today. We are gonna we're going to talk about what is your vocation when it comes to your career, when it comes to your job. Um, but the topic of vocation is much more expansive than that. We're, we're probably, we're almost certainly going to come back, circle back around to talk about vocation more um, in context of your family, your, your friends, your hobbies and, and different stuff like that. But today we're, we're talking about vocation when it comes to career. And part of the reason for that is it's the new year, which regardless of your feelings on New Year's resolutions, it, it does mark kind of a convenient point for us to say, you know, if, if things need to change, here's where we're going to change them. Um, and when this is released, we're thinking a lot of people are probably headed back to work if you've been back a day or two or you're, you're heading back in the near future. So um, I figured it was a good time to talk about what it means to live as God would have you live in your career in your in your job so that is our topic for this morning um got anything you want us to start off thinking about ben yeah i think you you've already kind of mentioned that like colloquially vocation in most people's brains starts tracking down the path of you know job career things you get paid for right um like the yeah uh the name of a school where you go to get trained in how to do manual labor is vocational school um and so that term in in the world generally does not refer to the same things we think of in um theology and i think that leads to kind of a few points of of tension or or friction uh, between theological thinkers and uh, like psychologists or 
um, even just like motivational kind of self-help stuff. Um, I think one of the pieces of that, that I, I think it's blown up a lot in terms of the way that we talk about vocation is that within the world that we live in, especially in the Western context of the United States, we have this assumption that work and our employment, it's gonna be this fulfilling, amazing adventure, and it's gonna do everything that we want it to do in terms of you know, satisfying some itch of, of how we live. Um, you know, Not only am I gonna make money out of this, but also I'm gonna just enjoy the heck out of it. Every day is gonna be a joy and adventure. Well, I'll tell you, when we were playing tennis uh, at seminary together, we played against um, one of the local schools. I, th I think it was actually the intramural team of Wash U we played. And I was talking with the guy in between sets, and I asked it, like, he said he was going into computer science, which was my minor in undergrad. And I said, oh, that's a lot of fun. And he said, oh, no, I hate it, but it's going to pay really well. And, like, <laughs> speaking of what you're talking about, Ben, that hit me as, like, that's weird. Mm -hmm. Like that, that, that doesn't track for me because it's kind of that idea of do what you love and you never work a day in your life. Um, but I think the, these two, you like this disconnect between theology and, and psychology, self-help, whatever you want to call it. I don't think they're either really wrong. Because when we talk about vocation as career, like your vocation is played out in your career. Um, like for us, our, our maybe more than a lot of careers, but pastor is, you, you play out your vocation a lot there. But if you're a banker, if you're a lawyer, if you're a plumber, whatever you do, like that is, that is an area where vocation is played out. But I think we're remiss to say that that is it, right? So there's a short, like there's a shortcoming on both sides if you leave one side out. Um, and because you know what despite I'm... what the, the, I guess what some would tell you, your career is not everything. And having a career is not everything. So. I think more where I was going with that is like, there is this, I'm going to call it a privileged mindset that your career has to be fulfilling. And I think we, we come at it, not necessarily from your career has to be fulfilling, but that your career in and of itself has to be fulfilling. Um, and I think that is one, and like I said, an incredibly privileged mindset and two, a very broken mindset. Like when you go into a job, even for Josh and I as pastors, there are gonna be days that suck. One of my least favorite things to do is just sit down and do grunt computer work. Uh, I left engineering because I had to do more of it than I could tolerate. Um, but that doesn't disappear in, in pastoral ministry. You have to do a lot of organizing. You have to do a lot of um, assembling services and sermons and, you know, writing devotions and and. My and, rosters and statistics spreadsheet for Edgewater Lutheran Church is, hold on, one, two, three, it has seven pages. 
and each one of these spreadsheet pages has like 110 rows of data. Yeah. It's the, there's a lot of grunt work that goes into being a pastor and I don't necessarily enjoy it. But the thing that makes work fulfilling when you don't enjoy it is not the work itself. It's the fact that it is a calling. It is like you're put in this position, not because everything about it is going to be fulfilling, but because by doing the work you're doing, you're benefiting others. And that is serving God by serving them. Yeah. And I think this, this might sound a little self-helpy, but I think in those situations, right, your, your fulfillment doesn't necessarily come from the work you do, but it comes from doing it as you've been called to do it. So doing it well, doing like living out your faith and everything we're called to be as Christians through your job. So I guess my example is um, it's not really from the pastoral ministry because I got to be totally honest. There's not a, a whole lot I have to do for Edgewater that I don't enjoy doing. Like I, I like the rosters and statistics. Um, I, I enjoy prepping for sermons and stuff. Like I, I enjoy the whole gambit of, of things, at least so far. Um, there are some hard conversations, but as we talked about in the last podcast, I even kind of enjoy those. Um, I'm going to go back to my undergrad where I worked for an establishment called Vanderbilt Campus Dining. Tagline was quality, quality, quality. And that was such a steaming pile of crap. Um, I did not enjoy my job. Uh, it was not, it was not like making, uh, making omelets for entitled uh, s- fellow students, not on my list of top 10 things I feel fulfilled by. Um, making sweet tea with the instruction, add sugar until it stops dissolving. Also not on my list of, of things that are like fulfilling. For, and like, that's not even really serving my neighbor. That's giving my neighbor diabetes. And that's not cool. Thank you. Type two. Type two. I'm not genetically altering anybody here. Um, But with that quantity of sugar, fresh cookies made. I did enjoy. I guess that part of the job. Um, But the I I tell you, a lot of these shifts, especially. So I worked Saturday mornings, which for those of you who have been on a college campus recently, (laughs) no one wants to work Saturday mornings um, for various and obvious reasons um but i did and and starting in my second year there i didn't just work saturday mornings i came in two hours early to work on saturday mornings so the shift typically started at nine i showed up at like 7 seven thirty to start setting up to start like getting things so that the rest of the shift would be less stressful for everyone else and what what was fulfilling of that was I was doing it well I knew that for whatever reason God had put me in that position in I'm not going to call it a career put me in that job and I did it with honesty I kept my time card honestly I dealt with my managers with my coworkers honestly I treated uh, my especially once I was a manager I, I did my best to treat coworkers with compassion um 
so the job wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't even the, the services necessarily I was providing. It was that opportunity to do it well, that opportunity to live as Christ would have me live, even in that situation is what was fulfilling. And I think if you take that attitude, there is that fulfillment of vocation. And that's what that's, I mean, it, it, I think that's the case with a lot of things God tells us to do. He's like, this is how I designed you to work. This is how I designed the world to work. Live that way and things are going to go well. So shocker, when we do that with our careers, with our jobs, and, and we kind of live as God has instructed us to, things tend to go better for us. Um, it's kind of my, my take on the whole fulfillment thing. And I think another piece of it is like, when you do a job that just kind of objectively stinks, um, I had two jobs in undergrad that I think could kind of qualify in that position. One of them, I also worked for dining services at Velpo. I worked, yeah. Uh, I worked in our campus cafe. I was either making pizza or restocking our like little convenience store thing. Um, we call them lunchy marts. They were open 24-7. Don't even remember what ours was called. Ours was not open 24-7. Thank God. Um, But I had that job and then I had another job on the weekends doing what they called policing dorms. Uh, Essentially, we did bare bones janitorial work on all of the uh, on-campus dorms, um, or not all of them, but the majority of the on-campus dorms for about six hours on on Saturday and Sunday. And um, I've seen more uh, crap and vomit than I will, than I ever have cared to see in my life. Um, I would say that qualifies as a crappy job. Yeah, I think I think so too. And uh, thanks for the finger guns, Josh. Um, no problem. You know, there there were just elements of those jobs that suck, uh, especially the, the policing dorms job. I think I went through like ten coworkers that year, ten student coworkers. They'd come, they'd work for two months, they'd quit. They'd come, they'd work for two months, they'd quit. And every time that one of the other students would quit, they'd keep coming back to me and going, do you have any other friends that want a job? Because like you keep showing up, you're actually kind of cheerful about this. You do your job, you make our days a little brighter and like, you don't complain. What's up with you? Like, and, and I brought a couple other people onto the job too, that needed work and like, didn't mind dealing with the mess. And, um, it worked out great. Um, and like kind of the same thing, making pizzas, you know, nobody really wants to be a, a cook on the, on the fryer line, but that's, that's what a couple of people I worked with had to do all the time. And, you know, if I could come in, do my job, do it well enough that they felt like I could take some pressure off of them and, you know, brighten their day up a little bit. I felt like that was uh, the pinnacle of, you know, my accomplishments for the day. And that, that, 
that was always more fun to me than uh than doing my homework but you know it's it was still a job that kind of sucked but like being there with the people made it more rewarding being able to serve those people to me made it more rewarding um and i i didn't do it for the job i did it for the people and i think if we look at kind of shifting this to a more theological look like that is the driving force i think in a lot of jesus ministry and a lot of his teachings is a people focus um he does things for the sake of the people around him for the people he um is teaching for the people they know um and i think like like our examples here are bad jobs well, mm-hmm. maybe not bad. Well, bad jobs. Um, Dirty jobs. Don't say bad. Yeah. Well, and even jobs that most people wouldn't enjoy. There you go. I think is a fair way to describe them. Um, but I think that a lot of these same principles hold even if you're in a job you love. So, you know... We talked a little bit about what it's like to be a pastor, which kind of makes it easy, easier, I think, to keep that focus of like, let's live how Jesus called us to live, because that's like our shtick, right? Like that's 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 literally part of our ordination vows is to to live a life. I forget how it's phrased, but live a life um, appropriate to the office. Um, but it's like, something like that, yeah. If you, if you think, say you're a lawyer and you love your job, or you're a, a banker, or you're a doctor, or a chiropractor, or, um, or a teacher, or a principal, like, a lot of these same principles hold, right? And, and just what comes to mind for me is, like, doing your job, going through your career with the fruit of the Spirit, Um with love, with joy, with peace, with patience, with kindness, all those kind of things. But I think even um, maybe even more helpful than that is the Sermon on the Mount and kind of Jesus's ethical teachings there. Um, and the two that come to mind immediately for me for two very, very different reasons. Um, first is honesty. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches, um, he teaches to just let your yes be yes and your no be no, to not take oaths. And what I, what I believe he's driving at there is live a life of such profound and radical honesty that when you say yes, people take you at your word. Your word is good enough because you have, you are such an honest, a consistently honest person. So this I think plays directly into your job to live honestly um, that means when you mess up, you, you are upfront with your boss. You say, yeah, I, I'm the one who screwed the pooch on this one, um, which is tough. And you know what? There might be some negative consequences for that. If you are um, in a really high powered job and you mess up and you're upfront and you admit that, you might get fired or you might be uh, kind of brought down lower than you are. But you're called the honesty regardless, and that is part of your vocation. Um, so I think that's something that really kind of stands out to me of when we talk about how, how do we live out our vocation 
as Christians in various careers, I think uh, a big part of it is honesty. But another one for, for totally different reasons is Jesus teaching on lust in the Sermon on the Mount. Like it's made the news so much. People in different positions of power are like, it's coming out. Oh, they were, they were sexually harassing everyone and, and all like, and. Did you hear the most recent one? I don't know that I have. Uh, one of the main characters from Sex and the City, which feels appropriate somehow, uh, has been accused of uh, inappropriate things on by like three or four women. But like Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he teaches that even if you look at someone with lustful intention in your heart, this is not action. These are not words. These are just thoughts. He says, you have committed lust with them. Mm-hmm. so he said he's driving us away from that like can you imagine all of these people if they had had that attitude toward their job of like i'm not even gonna let my thoughts go there well a lot of them would might still be employed today like it's when when we think about how do our how do our christian callings apply to our vocation i mean the purest motivation is Jesus told us to live this way. So we should live this way consistently, but also some of these, some of these have some potential to keep you out of situations. You do not want to be in. Um, you live honestly, you're, you're never going to get caught in a lie because you're not lying. If you're avoiding lust, even in your thoughts, you're never going to, uh, <laughs> you're never going to get fired and arrested and charged with sexual harassment. Like <laughs> these laws fundamentally, like God designed the world to work this way. So fancy that when we actually like live according to them, things go better for us. I mean, it's just astonishing how that works. Yeah. I, I don't really have anything to add to that part. Um, I, I think just one of the things that kind of comes to mind for me, um, this is maybe a bit of an off the wall vocational parallel here too. Um, but thinking about uh, Jacob as he's preparing to marry both of his wives, um, his vocation at that point was essentially farmhand right um his responsibility was to help tend the flocks of his uncle and uh do a good job and if he did that for long enough he would be allowed to marry one of the daughters um and he was shooting for one got the other one but rather than you know being a jerk about it he just put his head down worked for another seven years and married the other one um doesn't necessarily completely parallel to our modern day culture but like he worked hard he prospered the flocks um well and and i think something worth throwing in there is he was not benefiting from that he, I mean, later in the story, he does. He's rewarded for, for all of his work, but 
he's not coming out of this with like a nifty pension. Mm-hmm. The only one who I the only one who's really benefiting from this situation is Laban, the guy he's working for, who his flocks are prospering, he's getting free labor, and his daughters are now taken care of, right? Um, and I think that, and my apologies if I'm jumping in on whatever point you were driving at, but that kind of makes me draw to, I think that, and I can only speak for kind of the culture I see, but in, in America today, we are more entitled as workers than we are called to be. We, we have, we, we're so quick to say, well, I deserve this or my boss has to treat me a certain way. And it's like, yeah, you're called to live right. You're not really entitled to much, mm-hmm. right? And I, 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 I'm wondering what your thoughts are on how this plays into this quote unquote uh, great resignation. Or uh, I think I saw it somewhere else just called the big quit. I, I think on some level, you're right. I think on some level, there's like, a, a, we are entitled as workers. We're privileged as workers where, you know, if we, the, if the job doesn't meet our expectations, we walk away. But I think on some level too, people are missing having people around them also respect their career as a vocation because if you work in an office or you work in a in a company that doesn't really value um, your work as like an extension of you as a human being but they value your work purely in a monetary form, like there are likely some things that are very upsetting about the culture of that office place. And so on some level, yeah, there's an, a level of entitlement there, but I think on some level too, it's just people are sick of trying to fix sin in their office places. Um, and so I think there's kind of a, a twofer there. Like yeah, if, if I'm as a Christian called to um, live and serve and work in a place where I'm expected to give my best, where I'm expected to serve God through my actions, where I'm expected to um, serve and, and produce bountifully, I kind of expect that the people around me will see that and do the same. And if I see none of that, it's hard to stay in that. Yeah. Because after a while it just gets grating and, and the sin feels overwhelming and you need to, you feel the need to step back. And I think even people who are outside the faith on some, on some level recognize. Because well, we all are fundamentally built a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think the people outside the church recognize that like almost unjustness of the system that encourages people to take advantage of one another rather than to serve one another. Yes. So I think, I think there's a balance that has to be, and 
I want to start this example with I know very little about unions and pol and <laughs> but I'm using an example based on what I remember from high school history classes and what I kind of see today. Um, back, uh, I, I remember hearing stories in history class of unions um, back when workers were treated as expendable in almost every possible sense of the word. And unions kind of came together to protect the well-being of workers and, um, and kind of recognize that there does have to be so, uh, this work-life balance idea. So like in, in that sense, I think it's entirely appropriate that, that they came into existence. But what I see, um, and I'm gonna speak into this because I, I have some connections with, the situ with situations like this, but take, for example, it's, there are some places in the country where there are teachers unions. And I'm not, I'm not speaking of, uh, man, I shouldn't have even started on this road. I'm not talking about California's teachers union. I do not know enough about California's teachers union, what they do, what they don't do. Like, I don't, but there are some places in the country that I am familiar with where teachers unions at this point in history, in 2021, mostly just serve to protect bad teachers. They make it almost impossible for bad teachers to be fired, uh, even though they really should be. So I, I would say that's probably an overcorrection where there is a little bit of uh, entitledness going on. Um, and, and I have uh, someone very close to me. Um, she is in a management position. And the burden on her, because now workers, there is, I think as a society, there's a balance to be struck, but I think our current overcorrection is toward the entitled worker. Um, she struggles incredibly as a manager because everyone thinks that the work workplace has to resolve, revolve around them. And they don't have the bigger picture. They think, well, I need this time off. I need to only be scheduled this way. I need to be this. I need to be taken care of this way. Um, and it's very, like, I've seen its effect on her and it's, it's draining it. So I, I think part of our vocation, the vocation of the manager is to take care of the workers or the owner or whoever's in charge. It, it is called for that balance, but the worker, part of the vocation as worker is also to remember that your boss, your manager, whatever the case may be, is also a person who needs compassion and grace and to be cared for. Um, I worked as a manager for campus dining for, for a while. And I'll, I'll tell you, like people would come like, uh, actually I had very few people complain because schedules worked out by the grace of God with everybody's kind of whatever in mind. Um, but like when I was scheduling, I, I wasn't thinking of individuals and whether I liked or didn't like a certain person. It was, it was mostly just, here's what you've given me. Here's what I have to fill. How do I match these as closely as I can? And I, I, I think most managers are probably there where they're, they're trying to do the best they can for the workers. And it's like, everyone can't get everything they want. Um, and part of the vocation as manager is to kind of fight that battle and try and protect and lift up your workers. Um, but part of the, your vocation as um, an employee 
is to show that grace, the patience, the, the, the love for the people uh, over you as well. Yeah. Keep the it, tension, as Beerman yeah. would say. Yeah, it's 100% a two-way street. Um, and I, I think moving into takeaways, uh, uh, I think moving into takeaways, I think my, my takeaway from this discussion is that we need to, A, recognize the humanity within our career, whether that's our coworkers, our employers, our boss, uh, and work to improve the, the humanity of the other rather than work to bring fulfillment to ourselves. Um, like the, the fulfillment and, and humanity of, of the other should be the priority in our career, not necessarily our own. Um, and in a lot of ways that will bring us, you know, a good measure of joy and grace and, and you know, all, all sorts of other things, but it might not always be the most fulfilling and enjoyable thing in the world. How about you, Josh? What are you taking away? I think my takeaway from this is just to, to play by a consistent set of rules, mm -hmm. to live consistently. So if, if you're a Christian, you're striving to live faithfully with honesty, with, with the fruits of the spirit, with everything, um, those rules don't get left at the door when you walk into your job. So I think my takeaway is kind of, I mean, just be a Christian 24 seven, not just uh, when you're with the people you like doing the things you like to do. So. Cool. Um, so some prayer takeaways for today. Um, I think one of the things that we've kept coming back to and coming back to and coming back to is, is the humanity of, of the people in the workplace and how we approach that and how we approach serving God in the midst of all of that. Um, and so I think as a human in a workplace, if that is in any way reflective of you, if, you know, you volunteer somewhere that has employees, if you are an employee, if you are uh, working with employees of somewhere, um, consider their humanity, um, whether it's a supervisor, a coworker, someone working under you. Um, there is a lot there that you can do to serve them, to pray for them, um, to uplift them in their work as well. Uh, I think another one is to think about and pray about what role your career takes in your life. Uh, is your career almost idolatrous in that you're seeking fulfillment through it rather than uh, using that as a, a tool that God has given you to do life in, in all of its different aspects? Um, and then finally, and I think uh, this one is, is maybe a little bit more specific, but if you are one of those people that uh, finds yourself perhaps in, in the tide of the great uh or the big quit uh the i don't know if we should stick with that the same people who use that language called depression the big sad 
Okay. So uh, if you find yourself in in the great resignation, um, I want you to think about what is, is causing you to think poorly about your place of employment. Is it a place that you feel like you've poured your heart and soul into in the way that God has called you to. And not only is there a, uh, a silence to, um, like bringing positive, not positive, bringing godly, uh, workplace attitudes into the workplace, but it even runs counter to that. Um, or is it a place where you just find yourself dissatisfied because the work you do is not fun? Um, is it really a like, is it a justice issue or is it a you issue? Um, weigh those two things against each other and, and let that be kind of the, the litmus test for your decision because more than anything it's it's going to be a tough decision but make sure it's the right decision so that even in quitting you're recognizing the humanity of your coworkers. josh you got anything else before we go i think we're good with that sounds good with that brothers and sisters in christ go in peace serve the lord thanks be to god